Regardless of what we technically call it, I think most of us can agree that all signs are pointing to an economy that is getting tighter, which means your small business clients will need your assistance in evaluating the spending of every dollar. How would you like to be the hero to your clients by helping them to get free payroll until January 31st, 2023? I repeat, free payroll until January 31st, 2023. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. You know why these things are, are good? They're, they're, they're going to end up being a net positive disruptor. Um, I'm, I'm not being non-sympathetic. I'm, there are tax preparers out there that feel like this is a, a very big step in their backyard. And I get it. It's the way bookkeepers felt recently with the QuickBooks Live piece. But it's accelerating the path or the journey from where tax preparers and bookkeepers are to where they need to be. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I am Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And Blake, we have another guest. Yes, Joe Woodard. Hello, welcome. It's great to be here, guys. Great to have you. I've tried to get Joe on the show now, I think, three years in a row. And it's never (laughs) happened. (laughs) <laughs> we'll be at Scaling New Heights. We'll be doing live recordings, and Joe just gets too busy, and then it doesn't or, happen. Or pandemic hit, and we move Scaling yeah, New Heights. Or, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then trying to book him is just hard in general for a different episode. So finally, I was like, you know what? We're recording every Friday. We'll just give him the choice of every Friday, and he'll have to come to one of them. <laughs> and, and we this found is the one. one. This is great. It's so we good found to be one here. that fits. Uh, well, so. hey guys, happy uh, International Accounting Day. International Accounting Day was November 10th, so uh, yesterday, as we record yesterday. this. Yeah, on, on that day, 526 years ago, Luca Pacioli published his critical work, Summa de Arithmetica, Geometria Proportionae et Proportionalita, which became the foundation for further advancement of accounting. It's amazing to think that our profession has been around now for over 500 years. and hmm. uh, And yet... As we were discussing last last week on the on the episode, the shortage of accountants and the lack of interest in accounting may be threatening the future of capitalism. And I can't believe it, but we actually saw this start to happen this week with the collapse of the crypto ex- uh, crypto exchange FTX, a, a company that was one week ago valued at something like thirty eight billion dollars is wiped out, bankrupt. And billions and billions and billions of dollars of customer funds are likely not ever going to be returned to anyone. It's kind of amazing that this is happening. David, were you following this? Uh, I've tried to. I mean, the, like, explain. I think this is the problem. I was thinking about this this morning in the kitchen. Like, I can't. This doesn't pass the mom test. Like, I can't explain to my mom what happened here. <laughs> I don't. I right? don't think most people. And because of that, is the reason yeah. it happened. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure if, if uh, most people can explain what happened. I was actually Googling yesterday, trying to prepare for this uh, to sort of do that, right, David? I explain what happened, like summarize what happened for our accountants and bookkeepers who are listening. And there's not a lot of information out there um, because FTX, a crypto exchange that was offshore in the Bahamas somewhere, uh, does not get audited it has no financial statements that it issues. It is not audited by any uh, firm in the world, as far as we can tell. And what happened, apparently, uh, as far as I can tell, is that uh, this exchange... Now, a crypto exchange is, is like a bank, right? Uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so they take custody of your funds, you deposit funds with them, and you're supposed to be able to invest it. I sort of think of it like a, a brokerage account, right? And in the U.S., uh, a brokerage, uh, you know, has to be audited and maintain custody of uh, client money, right? They, they can't just, you know, do whatever they want with it. Um, but FTX isn't subject to those regulations. And so what they were doing, apparently, is uh, loaning customer funds to a related entity called Alameda Research, which was then investing that in very speculative crypto investments, which included something like uh, uh, they were doing what's called yield farming, which is investing in these new cryptocurrencies that offer a yield, very speculative stuff, very dangerous, very risky. 
And something like half of the customer funds were being loaned out to this related entity. And so when there was a run on the bank, when people started to worry that FTX uh, wasn't going to be liquid any longer, there was a run on the bank and they, they had to freeze uh, withdrawals. withdrawals. Again, yeah. Which now the fourth or fifth one of these companies have had to do this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your 10% return becomes absolutely nothing really yeah. quick. <laughs> I just can't believe that people are investing in these exchanges that are not audited, that have no financial statements. Like we're just trusting that this is being done properly. And this is the Arguably natural result. hardly businesses. Like this founder, I don't know if you saw some of this. Apparently he has a, a cabal he runs, you know, they all live in the Bahamas. Uh, him and 10 or 12 of the other, 15 of the other employees all live there together. They've all exchanged girlfriends. Like the whole thing is just a domino. Like, no, there's no due diligence. People are just buying this. So such on blind faith. And it goes yeah. back to Blake. Let's go. Do you know, this is the week. It's the one year anniversary of the big Matt Damon commercial. Oh, at the Super Bowl commercial where he the, said- the Courage to buy crypto. For the brave, right? And yeah. you went off on that commercial- in February of last year, I went back and listened to some of that episode. Um, you kind of went off about on that commercial. And at that point, crypto already fell 30%. And two weeks before that, we had our episode where it was titled, Crypto is a Scam. And we had listeners calling us and telling us how ignorant we were and that we didn't do enough research. But obviously, people are not doing research who are investing in this because these are not. This, this guy was had a $16 billion net worth. I know. Well, this but on paper, right? On paper, apparently yes. FTX yeah. only ever raised only two billion dollars, so they somehow got to the you know the thirty-eight billion dollars valuation on paper. They were trying to raise money. I don't want to go into super detail yeah. on this because we got a lot else to talk about. But there's one thing that relates to accounting that I want to uh, bring up, which is this uh, headline on the Telegraph: um, FTX founder blames crypto meltdown on quote poor labeling unquote of bank accounts. So. Mr. Bankman-Fried, who uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is the founder of FTX, um, who was you know the darling of the crypto world uh, until just a few days ago, he posted a Twitter th thread on Thursday, and he apologized repeatedly to FTX users while blaming the exchange's woes on his own misreading of its management accounts. Here's the quote. A poor internal labeling of bank-related accounts meant that I was substantially off on my sense of user's margin, unquote. I effed up. I should have done better. So think about this. He's blaming, I mean, I don't know if we can take him at his word, right? But he's blaming that he's looking at his books and he had not properly labeled which accounts were user funds, you know, depositor funds and his funds. I mean, that's just, that's bad bookkeeping, right? That's blaming it on bookkeeping. And I'm wondering like, does he even have an accountant? Were there any accountants working at FTX? Like at all, period, you know? Joe, do you invest in crypto? Uh, no, invest wouldn't be the word. So I've got a couple of comments here. One, I, I'd like to know what the average size of an account holder was uh, or is in any, any active cryptocurrency because I suspect that a lot of people are like me. They see a new one hit, I'll go throw a hundred bucks at it just so that in my Coinbase, I could use a hundred bucks as a baseline as if it's up or down, right? And also look at the graphs and stuff, but it, I play. And if a hundred thousand people play with a hundred bucks, right? And, or, or a million people play with a hundred bucks, it could start adding up. So um, how much of that is actually going on? And what are the, let's say actual customer risk, customer impact of something mm -hmm. like this happening? So that's number one. Number two, none of this is gonna be manageable. I don't think it's a scam. But I also think it's not viable is the way I would phrase it. Maybe you guys were being hyperbolic with the word scam, but it's not viable because it's not anchored in any kind of a tangible standard. You know, we used to have a gold standard in the United States. Now our now our we we know full well from the last year that our dollar is directly related to our economy. At least it's anchored in something. And these things are anchored in nothing. They're anchored in in yeah. In, in public well, worst of all, they're of anchored on worth. each other, right? Right. Yes, they're, they're exactly. anchored on each other. It's like, right. oh, ours is anchored on this other fictitious coin. Yes. And ours is on this other fictitious coin. And nothing's anchored in actual tangible reality. But now to get to your to 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 your actual question, um, which since I've waxed, you know, uh, eloquent here, I've forgotten what it was, Blake. So tee up your next your actual question. I'll answer it. I just want to know if you invest in cryptocurrency, and you you did yeah, answer. Yeah, that, yeah so no, I do, do but, but invest is yeah. a is a is a very loose yeah. word. I think a lot of people are like me; they're dabbling in it. Yeah. Well, so you brought up a good point, which is that um, 
you know, these cryptocurrencies are often, you know, they're not rooted in anything, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's, there are, uh, there are different types of cryptocurrencies and we've got, you know, Bitcoin, we've got uh, Tether, we've got USDC, we've got, um, well, an FTX had its own cryptocurrency that it issued. And this is what set the whole thing off is that the exchange FTX issued its own cryptocurrency, uh, which, you know, that's, those are like IOUs essentially, right? And um, it was discovered or leaked that the related entity Alameda, which is also owned by the founder of FTX, held enormous amounts of FTX crypto. And so that is what set off the bank run because people realize, oh, if, if FTX collapses, if the currency collapses, the crypto collapses, then Alameda is insolvent. And then very likely the exchange is going to be insolvent, right? That's what set off the run. And I, this is the problem with unregulated exchanges like this. Is the lack that, of regulation is part of yeah. the problem. Yeah. But if you want to create an anchor port that's legitimate, because that one was all paper thin, but where I think the future of crypto is going to go is anchored in major corporations. If, if, if you're talking about a Microsoft cryptocurrency or an Apple cryptocurrency, then they're anchored in, in, in the success and in the stability of those corporations. But don't we just call that stock, right? But if we treat this as an extension of the, the stock model, not stock, but something that operates similarly in its valuation to stock, but in a much more fluid way that doesn't require brokerages, doesn't require trading, that still, as we all know, impacted by the Schedule D, so it fits, then I think what we're going to end up with is sort of the Volkswagen of stock, the people's stock. And it's cryptocurrency anchor based in one or more corporations, a single or a corporate portfolio, which would be like a fund, right? I think it's going to morph in that direction. As an ownership model. No, that, that's, no. that's back to stock as an anchor okay. point. So that the, the Microsoft is stabilizing the currency. Just the same way that the economy of the United States stabilizes ours, but at a much greater scale. So it's like my... I have my Starbucks card or my, my Starbucks app and I juice it up. It, it, it's just no different than when I juiced up my cash app with some Bitcoin. I juice that up. You believe in the corporation. I have, I have there's no risk. I, I have virtual Starbucks dollars, but they're somewhat backed because of the value of Starbucks itself. They actually produce With something. one big difference, they don't appreciate yeah. as Starbucks grows or expands or they're, they're, you know, so, so this would actually, you know, increase or decrease in value as a currency would. But yes, a good comparison you're actually saying I'm transferring U.S. dollars to, to, to Starbucks dollars with the difference that this would be a little bit more fluid, yeah. And it would be open to be used in, as any cryptocurrency. I could use it at places other than Starbucks. So it's a good comparison, but much more versatile. Now, I could also be wrong, but this is just my big theory, right? Um, and I think it's a further stepping stone, big, big, big idea here. Um, the Ridley Scott idea that corporations, not nation states, are the governing forces of the future. So that now I'm a citizen of Apple, I'm a citizen of Microsoft, because now it has its own currency, it has its own uh, economy, it has its own technology, which is, of course, the anchor point of all things in the future, since we're going to live in the metaverse. And um, and now in the metaverse is going to be the big catalyst to making this happen 100, 200 years from now, as I will live in Microsoft land, and I will visit the real world. Oh, God, what a depressing thought. <laughs> Why does it sound better to live in Google land? I, I mean, both of those are depressing thoughts. Uh, the, yes, it can be yeah. very depressing, yes. Yeah, well, but you know, Joe, like this whole metaverse thing is just so ridiculous. Like, face, I think Facebook has made just a fatal error here because uh, in, until the technology improves to the point where we don't get motion sickness and we have legs in the metaverse and... Uh, people actually want to wear these headsets. And you can see the peripherals. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's the motion sickness to me is like the biggest problem. If you actually try to put on a headset and use it, uh, you know, I get motion sickness. Right. I read and an article that that almost half of our armed forces using it get motion sickness, and these are the you yeah. know, sort of the people that have the toughest. You know, they've already been vetted for handling you know uh, volatile environments, and yet they can't manage it. So it's 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 a real big problem. Uh, screen resolution and peripheral vision are the two drivers of that um, as because your mind's trying to adjust the pixelization to to the real world 
and it can't do so. Mm-hmm. So um, that is solvable, but I agree. Until it becomes globally usable without making people sick, um, it's it, we're a long way away from the worlds that I just described, right? If they happen at all, they're happening in hundreds of years from now, what I just described. So I don't want to make people think that, you know, that I'm thinking this is the next decade horizon. But yeah, I agree I Facebook I think- is, is, has bit too much of the apple too fast. I've, I've got a mantra and I've actually, unfortunately, lived this by experience, that if you're one step ahead, you're a leader. Two steps ahead, you're a visionary. Three steps ahead, you're a martyr. And they may just uh-huh. be a martyr on this one. Well, so yeah, I think I saw <laughs> so, just I, I don't want to derail on Facebook too much, but uh, this is the All In podcast guys were talking a little bit about how the amount of money and revenue that Facebook is spending on the metaverse is – and you think about major things in human history, right, or technology things. Uh, it's way more as a percentage of time and effort that went to the Apollo missions. It's more than Apple invested to get the iPhone out the door. Like You're right. They're, they're, they're making a 200-year bet, but the way they're burning the money to do it, they're not going to be around in 20 years. They might not be around in five years if they keep up at the pace they're spending Can I clarify something? Because I just read a great book on the metaverse, and I'll get you guys a link for your listeners. But the horizon on the trillion-dollar economics – most economists and most futurists think is in the outside 30 years. Um, some are saying as close as 15 or 20. It's just the Ridley Scott-esque world that I was describing where corporations run the world. If that ever happens, that's 200, 300 years from now. So I don't know that they're that far ahead of the market, but what I can tell you is for the, I agree with you, David, in principle, the amount of money they're spending for what could be a 30-year horizon is not survivable. And and it's ambitious if it's a 10-year horizon. Mm. Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. I was on the FreshBooks website this week and saw this blog post, Five FreshBooks Features Accountants Love. So I figured let's share it with the Cloud Accounting Podcast audience. So without further ado, Number one, in-app estimates and proposals. With deep customization, you can create bespoke proposals for clients and even capture their e-signatures. Number two, pre-populated chart of accounts. Help you cut down on your setup times and it helps clients feel confident when classifying their expenses. Three, app integrations. Square, Dropbox, HubSpot, G Suite, Gusto, and Zoom. Time tracking. Allows your clients to take charge of their own time tracking and payroll and make invoicing a breeze. Checkout links. You can require and collect payments up front to eliminate the need to chase clients that owe you money. If you want to learn about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Well, so, you know, Joe, I got to be honest. When I hear people talk about the metaverse in accounting, you know, I just think this is, this is, absurd because there's so there's so much more that we haven't done yet and to talk about the metaverse is to go way into the future beyond where we are here's an example cpa trendlines did a survey asking about uh, workflow solutions what workflow solutions are you using in your firm and some of these um some of these answers are kind of crazy uh, among all firms it's like a third do not use any workflow tool and are not considering one. And then 16% don't use one, but are considering one. And if you add those together, that's basically half of firms do not have a software tool for managing workflow. And what I mean by workflow is tasks, projects, tax returns. Basically uh, their livelihood. Yeah. 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 So yeah, like they probably have it on Excel though. I imagine they have a spreadsheet set up and they have different tabs for each client. I imagine they're tracking it some way. This, you know, it's, it's not I, fair. To I imagine that they like are this. not. I imagine that all of that process lives in the brains of the people doing the work, and it's all done in with extreme amounts of, of variables person to person. So there's no consistent brand offering by the firm at all. High errors and omissions, human resource turnover costs are through the roof, even practice threatening. Yes, David, I think so, I think some of this percentage has it on Google. I didn't mean to dismiss what you were saying. They have it on Google Sheets or they have it on Excel. But but unfortunately, what I've seen uh, is I've, as I've coached it's uh, even thousands of these firms and trained thousands of them. They, they truly have nothing except 
what might live on the desk of one person versus another person versus another person, and it's all over the map if it's not just written out on a piece of paper or just in their brain. It's, it's bad out there. So let's look at what people are using. So the half of okay. firms that are using solutions, uh, it goes practice CS projects, which is Thomson Reuters, then docket workflow. Oh, and I should say that the Thomson Reuters one is 9%. And then we've got docket workflow at like 6%, XCM workflow at closer to 5 5% said unsure. I mean, how could you be unsure what your workflow solution is? <laughs> uh, 4% office tools. 4% other, uh, CCH access work stream, 3%, custom, uh, that's 3%. I'm guessing that's going to be a lot of bigger firms. Or maybe that's the spreadsheets, David, that you're talking about. I need to note, yeah. too, that uh, CCH access workflow, I don't know of a CCH access work stream that may be a typo, but it, those two are now the same as, X, and that's XCM, so... That is maybe that's why thing. you got this unsure. People are like, I don't know what we use. We should have one. Yeah, which, by the way, is nothing. That's another no answer, right? Go file room firm flow. That's Thomson Reuters. Never heard of that. That's 2%. And SharePoint's not a workflow, so I don't even know what they mean by that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody, uh, uh, about 1% around SharePoint if we round. Jetpack workflow is about 1%. Uh, Onvio, another Thomson Reuters project, 1%. Arrow, 1% iChannel, never heard of that. That's like half a percent. But none of the other apps, like Carbon is at the bottom with zero, like percent. None of the, there, like none of these apps that we hear about in the cloud accounting world are anywhere in this survey other than Jetpack, really, in Arrow. And uh, it mean, makes me wonder, where, where's, like- Where's Canopy, for example, right? Right, no Canopy, like no Client Hub, no- Lissio, like this whole, Lissio. There's a whole stack of them. Yeah, yeah so it's like- is this is this an indication of the uh, you know CPA trendlines audience, you know, or is this is this just that it's still very very new and and people are not using practice management? Well, software. obviously, any audience is going to create a skew on the demographic. But what I can tell you is, in my experience, this is right on target. Now, maybe wow. not in one app versus another, but this is right on target. Under adoption, uh, disparate adoption, adoption of wrong technologies. Uh, trying to to repurpose things that shouldn't be used as workflow. I see that all over the place. It's bad. So what do you think, Joe, just rough estimates in your audience? So obviously you kind of have an audience of, it's it's really not CPA firms per se, but it's it's a lot of accounts and bookkeepers. They're quick, yeah, we're you know, 20% quick CPA books, firms, but they're very, yeah. They're, they're forward thinking a little bit. I think they're earlier adopters per se. The fact that they go to your conference just shows they're interested in growing their firm, et cetera. What, what, what was your guess for your audience, those kind of numbers? Yeah, we've actually pulled our audience on this. And unfortunately, uh, they're quick adopters of technology, but they are slow adopters of workflow. So this is systemic. It extends into the bookkeepers. And there are a couple of reasons why uh, a much larger percentage of bookkeepers are sole practitioners than CPA firms are. So not that you don't have sole practitioner CPA firms, but a much larger percentage of of bookkeepers, it's it's close to 70% of professional bookkeepers are sole prop or have only contractors supporting them or outsourced workers. So they feel less pressure to standardize because of the fact that they have it all in their brain. And we store, we coach them past that. You, know, you need to be scalable even if you don't plan to scale and you want to have something somebody will buy one day. And we have all of these arguments, but it's a much harder value prop to, to sell. The other reason is because they struggle with the same capacity problems to to lead and develop their firms that CPA firms do and multi-practitioner firms do, So, which is really at the heart of this whole thing. If you ask any any accountant, do you need standardization, standardization of process? Do you want it democratized throughout your practice? Do you want it to be constantly perfected? And do you want to, to capitalize the knowledge of what's in the brains of your people into true intellectual properties that scale, of course they're going to say yes. But then if you ask them, do you have the capacity to, um, or the resources to build that, or when will you, they can't answer that question. David, I'm going to let you decide where to go from here. I've got a story. I got, I got more I could talk about. I could talk about TurboTax Live or TurboTax Live Full Service Business. That's a big story. Yeah, I think so. It's a great topic. I just saw a press release today about the the Connect Experts platform. So yeah. we can talk about all that. Okay. So 
Caleb Jenkins, thank you to Caleb Jenkins for making me aware of this earlier this week, that TurboTax Live uh, is now doing business returns, and the pricing was briefly available earlier this week. It is now gone. If you go to this TurboTaxLiveBusiness.com website, it just says get 50% off and early access to a dedicated business tax expert. Previously, it said $1,599 with a 50% discount if paid by December or something. Uh, and the pricing was kind of moving around throughout the week, but it has now gone. And so uh, this is we, we talked about this was coming, right, David, uh, on a previous episode? Yeah, I think that, in, we went through that huge slide deck, yeah. uh, their Investor Day slide deck. And I think in that time, it was about a $750 price huh. point, so which would be the $59.9 divided by two, somewhere yep. around in that area. And and so like this is it's really happening. TurboTax Live. So you you sign up for the TurboTax software and you can chat with uh, an enrolled agent or a CPA inside of the software. You can provide them all your docs and it is full service. They will actually fill out the forms for you and then go over with it. You go over it with you and then file the return and sign it. This is out. It's happening this year and. The response on tax Twitter was interesting to watch because I guess there's a lot of people, and Joe, I really want to get your take on this. There's a lot of practitioners out there charging less than $1,500 for a tax return or even less than the 50% off, the yes, 700 or the $800. That's correct. Yeah, for a business return. So, you know, what's your take on this? How, how, I mean, it was one thing when we had TurboTax for 1040s because most practitioners or many practitioners I talked to are saying, you know, I don't really want to do 1040s anymore. I just do them for the business owners. When I do the business return, like I'm not really interested in that type of work. But now this is coming after the bread and butter of the accountant community. Well, but not, not by design. So I want to make sure I'm clear. And this is my interpretation. I've not talked with any executives at Intuit about this. So I can just read tea leaves. I don't have to worry about speaking out of school. That's the good news. My interpretation of this is they this is a battle with h and r block uh, this is not a battle with the hang a shingle tax preparer so now in the battle between intuit and h and r block and all of the shells that are hitting the ground from this battle is there collateral damage that could impact the rank and file tax preparer yes of course i mean that same thing could be said of QuickBooks Live. QuickBooks Live was not designed to compete against the bookkeeper. It was designed to compete against Bench, Belay, Finance Pals, KPMG Spark, as it's called in the UK, or, or Finance Plus, as it's called in Canada. It was designed to compete against those. Yeah, that's the war. Um, and now H&R Block's doing bookkeeping. I think Intuit knew that, right, and positioning to that. So, But as the gods of Olympus are throwing lightning bolts at each other, the mortals are impacted, right? That's the way I look at it. But it's an important distinction. Uh, a lot of people are out on social media saying that Intuit wants to put professionals out of business. They don't. They have a competitive landscape and they're fighting their competitive landscape. Again, the gods are throwing lightning bolts. Now, well, let me stop the question you there for then a is second, what though. is their response? Well, I mean, they still have to think about the small firms out there and there is a response for that. How does this not compete with? I didn't say it didn't compete. I'm saying yeah. it's not engineered to put them out of business. But it might. It could. <laughs> right. So, so here's here's into its strategy. Now, and we can debate the merits of the strategy. But their strategy is while I am fighting with H and R Block and Bench, Belay and Finance Pals, and all these other folks in the bookkeeping space. I want to take care of accountants by providing resources to for them to embrace advisory. So Intuit has simultaneously launched a tax advisory initiative coupled with a program, a, a, a solution that works with Intuit ProConnect so that their, their users of Intuit professional software can offer something that they're not offering through this. They're doing the same thing in the bookkeeping realm. You know, they're, they're leaning very heavily into anything that's advisory related and business coaching related so that the pro advisors can elevate beyond what QuickBooks Live offers. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling you what their response is. I'm not debating its merits one way or the other. I'm just throwing it on the table for you guys to tell me what you think. I think the good news here is I'm on the TripleTax website. 
and I can't find this. And in the TurboTax website, it's actually, you can tell they're becoming an accounting firm because their menu is so deep of all the different things they offer. You know, like these accounting firm websites that are just very generic and they just have these menus with 30 items in it, 40 items. I can't find the TurboTax Live business returns anywhere a link to it on the bottom of their website or on the website itself. So it, it, that should be some comfort, right? Well, How are people even going to find this if they hear about it? That's because this is the first year. I mean, my guess is they don't want okay, to overload yeah. it. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna try it out this year, see how it goes, and then grow it. And also, Intuit David, tends to stick that. I mean, to cut your all play, but also Intuit right. tends to place things out there as as pricing tests and yep. market viability tests and then withdraw them. And they're they're very experiential. I don't think we're we're not seeing a change of direction by the launch pullback. We're seeing experiments launched, measured, and pulled. Now the next experiment will come. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is built for accountants. And with 30 plus years of payroll experience, they can be the payroll partner you can always rely on to get payroll and tax filings right for any client even those with distinct needs like restaurants, farms, and churches. When you use OnPay to manage your client's payroll, you can balance that fine line between control and delegation for each client. Regardless, if you keep 100% control, delegate payroll to somebody at your firm, or hand off payroll duties to your client, OnPay always takes care of all tax payments and filings, even the local filings. And with integrations with QuickBooks Online, Xero, and QuickBooks Desktop, you can use OnPay across your entire client base regardless of the accounting GL they are using. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts for our rev share, and a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting, from setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees. They'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay Payroll and HR, and to get free payroll through January 31st of 2023 for every client you switch to OnPay, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. Be more confident about payroll with OnPay. Well, so what we're going to do is, David, I've already said we're going to do this, so I hope you are in agreement. Uh, I tweeted this out. We are going to take one of our entities. We've got three entities now, and we are going to run one of them through TurboTax Live Full Service Business and report back to everyone on our experience. Is it accurate? Is it convenient? Is it easier, David, than your experience working with a cloud firm? Because two different cloud firms, two yeah. different cloud firms. Uh, we're going to compare. So we'll, we'll we'll report back to you all hopefully in January and let you know how it goes. Yeah, uh, I'll try. It. I'll try to do it with mine the Sunbird Wraps because it's a little bit the simplest one now at this point, and we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, the the premise I've always said is. Me typing these things into other tools like uh, TaxCaddy and whatever other tools I need to upload or type things into, it's just easier to type it into TurboTax. And so, that, and like, Blake, we've talked about this before, right? It's actually more work to work with a firm than it is to do things yourself. Well, you, you end up having to do the same amount of work to type it because you're typing into their tax organizer, online tax yeah. organizer, that you would have typed into a TurboTax. And then and I'm doing more because the other stuff's already in TurboTax. It just sucks it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, and that software is generally better than yes, yes, well, yes. This, you know, it's better than. But the I don't work- have 15 years of data in that other software either. Yeah. Or or <laughs> or there's the half of firms that don't use any sort of workflow management software. So you're just literally <laughs> manually giving them all the information. There's no system for organizing it. Do you know why these things are are good? They're 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 going to end up being a net positive disruptor. Um, I'm I'm not being non-sympathetic. I, there are tax preparers out there that feel like this is a, a very big step in their backyard. And I get it. It's the way bookkeepers felt recently with the QuickBooks Live piece. But it's accelerating the path or the journey from where tax preparers and bookkeepers are to where they need to be. Because you, we're going to discover very quickly where the limits of this are. We've discovered that with QuickBooks Live. QuickBooks Live will not service you if you have inventory. Um, They won't service you if you're of a certain size. There are limits to the kind of clients that QuickBooks Live will take. And you're seeing pro advisors start to gravitate into those safe harbors. But those safe harbors also elevate the pro advisor into larger businesses with more complex operations than they had before. Right. Turbo, this is important for your audience to hear because a lot of them provide 
client accounting services. QuickBooks Live will not do cash flow projections, spend management, budget creation and curation, collections and bad debt expense mitigation, financial measurements that create actionable management advice, and everything I just mentioned isn't rocket science. A lot of it bookkeepers already know how to do. So now what's going to happen with tax is tax preparers are going to figure out exactly where the limits are here. I called my tax preparer yesterday without an appointment, got him on the phone within 30 seconds to ask him a question about my health insurance plans I'm launching for my company when I'm a when I'm a, an S-Corp and I own more than 2%. It's, it was a complex question for me. I didn't know how to map it. He answered it in under 15 minutes. And am I going to get that here? I, I can't imagine that I would. Here I'm no. going to get a transaction right. transacted on my behalf called a tax return. So it all comes down to do you have the right kind of client where this is not a threat for you? And the other point of view I think I have on it Right, is you have all your, if all these firms are being coached, like fire your, fire your D clients, fire your C clients, you just want A and B clients. So you can offer that type of service you got, Joe, right? So if that's the case, where do the C and D people, millions and millions of businesses go to get services? They're gonna Somebody's going to have here. to come in and fill that gap. <laughs> they're going to go to TurboTax Live is what they're going to yeah, end up going really, to. Really? You're going to have but, to go somewhere because see, cause I, that fits their budget and their demands, right? Or their yes. expectations. I feel that, that the advice to fire your C and D clients might not be the best advice. And the reason is, I think that the, the reason that those are C&D clients is not necessarily because of the client, it's because of the way the firm operates. <laughs> Probably. Right? So a C&D client might have relatively low fees, um, but that generally means they're gonna be simpler. And if they're not, that means you've mispriced. So that's your fault. If they are not getting you the documents that you need on time, and they're difficult to work with, that's often because of you, the firm. Like, put yourself in their shoes. Uh, make it easy for them to get you the documents. Don't rely on them to be proactive. Um, you know, it's, it's all customer firms service. have an upgrade funnel that's defined, right? Yeah. And your DNC clients are perfectly fine to keep around as long as they're, they're understood to be in an upgrade funnel. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're working the funnel to make sure you're moving a transaction into a relationship, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the thing is, it's very possible to build a really profitable and successful transactional-based accounting or bookkeeping practice or tax practice. And the move to advisory is basically, it's a way to avoid having to build the systems and processes that allow you to deliver a really good customer experience in a transactional business at scale. At scale, right. right. Most accounting practices, most bookkeeping practices are not built with good processes in place. It's all reliant. Like we We're saw that to in the this, workflow conversation. Yeah, yeah. Half of firms, no workflow. It's all in your head. And if it's all in your head, you can't serve those lower tiered clients effectively. And that's why you have to get rid of them. But if you could do it, like the way Intuit's doing, what they're building is a whole workflow software that's going to allow them to offer the software and the service together at a really good price that's going to deliver insane margins for them. It's, but Blake, this is what yeah. I would argue because I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. And I would have agreed with it without any caveats or notes 15, 20 years ago. But the problem is not can or even, you know, theoretically should an accounting firm offer that at scale. Of course, that would have been good business building. But now the competitive landscape technologically as well as uh, through scaled organizations is so threatening that unfortunately that whole market is going to be serviced in a very different way already is being serviced in a very different way so in terms of the model yes but then the question would be can i ever achieve the degrees of scale that h&r block and intuit can achieve and if the answer is no then i am a general store with a walmart next door i will die I don't care how good I run my store, how well I run my store. Well, there is a way to do it in sort of a boutique way. So I, I spoke with um, a listener of our show for my Earmark podcast the other week, and he has 85 clients that pay him a starting price of $200 a month for bookkeeping, which is very, I think a lot of listeners would say, wow, I don't know how he does that. That seems low. The way he does it is it's 85 Keller Williams real estate agents, all exactly the same client. 
And that's the kind of business that most firms would turn down, but he's managed to make very profitable and into a good business because he's the only one who does it. He markets exclusively to them. It's a niche. It's a niche. And it's it, a niche. it, it yeah. competes with QuickBooks Live because they're not going to be able to handle all the unique aspects of being a real estate agent and the, the, the documents you get. So niche is an insulator. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So I think it's possible. And th that's the kind of firm I would build, honestly. If I were building a new yeah. firm from scratch, I would build one where I'm at that you know, $500 a month average type of uh, revenue uh, per client. Maybe it's a mix of bookkeeping and tax. Not a lot of advisory. I wouldn't build a firm that's based on advisory because it, with the talent shortage, it's so hard to find people who can deliver it. So I don't want to deliver it. Right. I'm not going to create an in-between for you, though. Yeah, sure. There's sure. an in-between. OK, because I agree with you. You can't scale what I would call business coaching because I want to make sure advisory is such a loaded word. You yeah. can't scale business coaching because it's a very specialized set of skills and a smaller approachable market. You can scale record keeping, but you have to scale it in, a, like you said, a boutique way. And it's still a red ocean. You still have to navigate around the sharks. And, they're, and you're still at risk of disruption. But in the middle sits what we have phrased bookkeeping plus. And it gets me back to that list that I was talking about, budget curation, G&A review, spend policies, bad debt expense mitigation, and some light cash flow projections. These are things we've shown we, this is not theoretical. We have hundreds of bookkeepers who've now gone through these one-day courses in each of these disciplines and started offering these, not as advisory, I'm using air quotes for those of you not watching the video, but as bookkeeping plus. And what we found is they can transfer that knowledge to the professionals in their firm and scale it. And what we've also found is as soon as you add even a single one of those disciplines to a client of any size at all, say two million or above in sales, then you cross the thousand dollar month mark uh, in in bookkeeping work, and we shoot for a median in this model of twenty five hundred a month. That's where we want to be. Yeah, that was my sweet spot for the plus those type mm. services, right? But so, what would you include in plus? You know, bookkeeping. So spend plus. management which is a big category. That's your budgets, spend policies, spend cards for preemptive mm -hmm. enforcement, G&A analysis. All right, so a budget curation. So the budget's a living, breathing thing that includes an element of forecasting and truing up every month. That's spend management, it's a big one. You can break it apart into several different pieces or throw it together as a single thing. Bad debt expense mitigation, and you can do predictive analytics on any QBO or zero AR ledger by attaching a product called Tally Street. So it makes you look really smart. And you can you can um, curate that. You can increase you can decrease the length of the AR turns, and you can to create immediate cash flow bubbles. Those always feel good, and you can reduce bad debt expense, and then um, cash flow projections. And I would say very high level financial measurements that don't scare people who aren't CFO types using products like reach that mm -hmm. have really easy to digest dashboards and maybe surface once a month or twice a month, four or five things the business owner should look at. That's it. And maybe monitor about 10 things on their behalf. Now you do that and do it with real time accounting information. Um, at some level, at least cash ARAP, and you're going to be offering what almost every other bookkeeper can't offer at scale. And more importantly, to channel my Ron Baker, you're going to be increasing their wealth, giving you the ability to share in that generation of wealth as true value pricing. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Lysio. Blake and I talk a lot in the show about client experience. A great client experience may be the biggest impact on a firm's success. Did you know that Lysio is so focused on improving the client experience that they have even gone as far as trademarking, and I quote, client experience 2.0. Lysio's all-in-one client experience starts with your own firm's experience. By allowing your team to do more together, having everything in one place like secure messaging, client-facing tasks, file exchange and storage, electronic signatures, client invoicing, and client emails. When you improve your team's experience, your client's experience will follow. 
With Lysio, clients can use the app on their phone to easily e-sign anything, scan and send you documents from anywhere, send messages, and best of all, pay you. If you want to save 40% of your time by having everything in one place and start delivering a client experience 2.0, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Lysio. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-S-C-I-O. Just to rewind, because I think we do need to move on and talk about the zero news and some other stuff that happened this week. But I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. You're coaching for people, your 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 members, to get their firm to where you're charging clients a thousand dollars to twenty five hundred dollars a month. Thousand dollars is the concrete floor as the target. Yes. See, this is why QuickBooks Live. None of these are competition. Then exactly. I mean, if, if you're if if you are. You're, you're, you're basically slamming – if you price your services like that, you are slamming the door in the face of somebody who's going to become a QuickBooks Live customer or a Live customer. So I don't know where the argument is here because really you're, you're saying I don't want those D and F's exactly right. clients because I, I mean, like, I'm not paying that much with my entities to an accounting firm for bookkeeping. Those are high prices. I wish we wouldn't use the letter ranking of these clients. I think it's insulting okay. to them, right? If we if we want to focus on client okay. experience and being good advisors to our clients, it's can you imagine if we were if they heard us talking and they heard us calling them C and D and F clients, how they would feel? Yeah, you know they're not C D and F clients; they're clients no. with specific needs. And everybody specific everybody budgets. has a, a journey to protect. Blake, I agree. Yeah, but I'm not the protector of everybody's journey. But at the same time, there's only so many of these twenty five hundred dollar a month engagements out there. You right? don't need a lot and of them. The, you you don't. But I, I don't know. It's just, I, I think that, I feel like with a lot of firms, um, it's sort of like the shiny object syndrome where you've got this base of clients that you could just be serving better. And you don't need to go out and find all these new advisory type of engagements. You could just do what you're doing better and make more money. Like most accounting firms are just very poorly managed. To be honest, I, not, I agree there. They not run like there. businesses, you know. They run and like you can increase margin by increasing efficiencies, but at some point, your ability to decrease costs is not proportional to the ever declining price points being driven by you know scaled competitors, and you get yourself into a pricing vice. You 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 still have to get out of that vice. Um, so you know. yeah. Well, having a having a methodology for say increasing prices would help. Most firms don't. Yes, it would have that. Yes, that is true. <laughs> Right, they never increase the price on anyone. So they like, don't. No, that yeah. is true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, get, speaking, zero had news. Can I, I do one more that. before we get oh, into yeah. that, David? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I have to get to this. Um, so speaking of uh, F clients, imagine if Kanye West was your client. <laughs> Kanye's former accountant has sued him for four point five million dollars in unpaid fees, and I just say yay because he's no longer Kanye. He's just yay. Uh, yes. So this is celebrity accountant. I didn't know we had celebrity accountants, but according to <laughs> Bill, Billboard.com, Thomas St. John is a celebrity accountant, and he filed a lawsuit in October that claims he was hired in May by Yeezy LLC to serve as his chief financial officer for an 18-month contract with a, get this, $300,000 per month fee. So talk about advisory pricing on value, right? He says mm. he demanded... Uh, guarantees because of the risks of working with West and to assure the st that the star would not simply walk away, which of course is what he did, exactly that. At a June meeting at the pricey Malibu restaurant Nobu Ryokan, the accountant claims West became heated and aggressive and then abruptly terminated his new CFO. And so now, uh, due to that contract, he is suing for $4.5 million. So I know maybe maybe you're right, Joe. Should have billed him up front. <laughs> <laughs> I should have fee subscribed. Should be charging every month for that ACH, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Get the get the money up front. Uh, all right, David, I'm going to let you take it. Yeah. So zero was in the news as well. So they uh, announced their mid year. Uh, what do they call this? They call them. It's their it's half year return. They do half year the results. half year results. Yeah, half year results. And as part of that, we can get into the details a little bit on that. But as part of that, they've announced that um, they have a new CEO. Yeah, Steve Vamos is stepping down after, what, five years? Yep. Yeah. And the new person they've uh, announced the appointment of, I'm going to mess up the name, Sukinder you got it. Singh Cassidy. I think Did you I got know? it right. Yeah. All right, good. Um, and that'll be New Zero's new CEO as of February 1st, 2023. So she previously was the president of 
the Asia Pacific and Latin America at Google. She was the president at StubHub, founder of the board list, founder of Joyous, J-O-Y-U-S. Um, she was CEO there, and, fa- and she was a co-founder of Yodely. So she's yes. been in this space directly. She's been in related businesses. Uh, well, and, and I, apparently, that's that's the thing is like co-founder of Yodely. Maybe she can finally solve Zero's bank feed problem. F- fix bank feeds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Of course, the stock price tanked on this news. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, there was another story about how zero stock is at its what was it lowest point in a really long time yeah lowest level since march 2020 after they announced the retirement of steve amos uh but they had good results david did you say that you know what the numbers were uh yeah so i had the deck uh here um so it looks like they're the results were good. They had um, it's like thirty percent growth in revenue, right? Yeah, thirty percent growth. Subscribers is up to three point five million. They're still sitting on one point one billion dollars in cash, yeah. so they could do acquisitions, they can expand, etc. But what I found interesting was in their investor deck. Remember how we were talking about Intuit thinks that they have done nothing yet. They look at the TAM across the board, right? And they just they're a little sliver of. Mm-hmm. Their growth pop opportunities, and this also explains why it seems like Zero is doubling down on North America. So they have a slide at slide fourteen in their their deck that they released. So they talk about like countries where they've already leveraged the cloud versus adopting the cloud. So leveraging the cloud is going to be their existing market, Australia and New Zealand. So the total TAM they're saying there is three point seven million, and they're already over two million users mm-hmm. in there. So. You know, it gets harder to grow every single time. But then they look, then they flip over. So the UK, North America, and rest of the world is a total TAM. Uh, but North America is a total TAM of three, 34.5 million, and they only have 354,000 subscribers. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge opportunity, but they can't penetrate. They've completely failed to penetrate the US market to any meaningful degree in the last 10 years. And I've watched but that's them the only do one it. they can chase, though. In yeah. a way, because based on the size, they have to chase it. They have no choice. Yeah. Well, but globally, they've been doing great, right? So like the, all the growth that they've had has been globally, right? UK. Um, yeah, rest of the world. Rest of the world. UK, like, yep. Yeah. But yeah, they have to. I, I don't know if they have to get the US market, but I feel like that's the problem is they've actually been so successful globally because they don't really have meaningful competition but, globally. That, but even the, they call, what they call the rest of the world, the TAM for that is only 1.3 million. For the whole rest of the world. Yeah. So UK Wait. is 5.5 million, US is 34.5, and the rest of the world, they're saying the TAM is only 1.3 million. Maybe they mean maybe they mean English speaking, but I feel like, because I feel like if they just went, like globally, there's got to be way more small businesses that you, they can go after. I mean, right? Like, I don't, it can't just be a million. Like what about all of Asia? they're counting this right? as, you know, South Africa, uh, Singapore, some of these other places the, they're the, in. The localization cost to go outside of English speaking is, is brutal, right? Yeah. That's why it took into it so long and they've only... To put their toe in the water. I, th- I think the only viable option for zero stay in English speaking countries, you know, I think the US is the only growth area for them. I think they've got to, they've got to fight for this market again. Uh, they, they've stayed on the beachhead for the last few years, um, you know, kind of just hovering. They, they've got to go after it. Yeah. How do you think, Joe? If you were if you were t- advising Zero, what would you tell them to do to make inroads against QuickBooks? Because I it- would tell them to focus on the fact that they don't have. I know we've already talked about how it's largely optics, and you can stay out of their lane and things like this. But how mm-hmm. they don't provide bookkeeping services—that's a—that's an optics or PR vulnerability. They need to they need to <laughs> exploit if they were if they were competing against Intuit. Um, that that's a political game, but it's it's one they should play. But, but in the positive sense, they should focus on their entry-level price points, um, the, yeah. the, the, the general ledger only, uh, and then you know, there's an incremental step, then the full-blown platform. Um, those, the price point of QBO for multi-portfolio companies is prohibitive, and that's the reason most of them stay on desktop. And then the third thing I would say that they're already doing, lean into product development on warehouse management. Their purchase of Locate was brilliant. If they can execute correctly and go to market with that intellectual property in their product and create a true competitor to QBD Pro, Premier, and Enterprise for warehouse, anybody distribution, anybody wholesale, anybody e-commerce, they're going to put a real dent in the market. 
There are still millions of QBD users. The reason they don't move is because they think they can't. And the reason they think they can't is because of inventory and job costing. For whatever reason, they're not embracing the add-ons. If Zero will offer these features natively inside of its GL, they can disrupt. I, I hope they can do it. I, I'm a little, I don't know. I'm hesitant to say that they will because they acquired HubDoc, which is a totally natural thing to build inside of Zero, the whole receipt document processing, and it's still separate from Zero. It's still not integrated into They don't Zero. want to lose the QBO attaches and the QB, yeah. So yeah. They, yeah, as soon as they move it in product, fully in product, see, they lose all that, the QB attaches. I but, guess, um, yeah. But uh, but with this one, they decided to kill the, lo- the, the actual engaged market. They gave yeah. Locate users a year to get off the platform and that was a hard cliff. They did not extend. That year expired uh, exactly 31 days ago. And now the only way you can get to the locate inventory goodness is going to be inside of zero. That's the way mm. to do it right if you're trying to disrupt. I feel like the other challenge they have is that like where QuickBooks has an advantage is you can sign up and you can start invoicing and getting paid very easily. It's all integrated with QuickBooks payments and, you know, like, like, that's what a lot of people do, right? That's what, how a lot of people sign up. But with Zero, yeah, you can sign up, you can send an invoice, but then to actually get paid, you got to use an add-on, you got to sign up for another service. It's not all seamless. And I feel like that's where they need to focus, just from a customer, you know, direct customer standpoint. But I totally agree with you, Joe, that that with the accountants, most accountants I talk to have no idea that these lower-tiered GL offerings exist just for accountants, you know, the cash book accounts. They've under-messaged that. Yeah. The GL, the ones where it's like just pure write-up with no bank feeds for $3 a month. $3 a month. It's insane. You could, you could. it's all a disregarded holding company needs. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And you can, and I know there are accountants who do this. Well, you know, they've got, you know, I've got a client with 10 subsidiaries. I'm going to set them up with the, I end up paying $30 a month with zero. Whereas with QuickBooks, I'd have be paying, you know, $30 per entity yeah. or maybe $70 yeah. per entity. And people do. It depends on which version I need, right? Yeah. So like that to me is um, focusing on the account. And your needs. listeners need to hear this. This is huge. Yeah. If, if the if the client's on QBO for their operating entities and you're thinking it's just too hard to move them over first, you know, of course it's not. But there are reporting aggregators that will grab both zero and QBO data and put it to single dashboards. You don't have to have everything in a single GL for, for the same client portfolio. You don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good suggestion because, it, you know, you see with family offices, they have like the real business, they might have to track in QuickBooks, but the rest of the family office stuff, they, these other oddball entities, you know, it's the rental house, it's the airplane, it's the boat. You, you could run those on a $3 a month project. And right now the accountants are holding on to QBD instances to manage those books. i tell you that's how yeah. they're doing it. And it's if for three bucks a month, just get it to the cloud. That's a good point. Uh, we got five minutes left. One more story, David. You got anything? Well, I know last week we just mentioned that the IRS is not going to have a commissioner. Well, this morning they did nominate somebody, and we don't even have to go into it too much because I'm working. We might try to get an interview with this person on the Cloud Accounting Podcast, so we don't even have to talk about this person is this, just yet. Is this Daniel Werfel? Yes. Dan- not not Danny Werfel, the former Florida State uh, quarterback or Florida quarterback from the SEC. It's a different Danny Werfel. Okay. So he was a previous acting commissioner. Acting commissioner, I think, under Obama for about eight months, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, reading the, well, the story. I, hey, if you can get him on the show, I think we need to do that. And then we need to invite a bunch of tax preparers and just let them go at him with all their complaints about the IRS. We'll call it the gripe session episode, right? I feel like the IRS doesn't hear from tax preparers directly enough. Like they're, they're getting this all secondhand from associations I when I talk to taxpayers and I hear their stories, it's horrific how bad the service levels are at the IRS for preparers and the stuff that happens and just you know people hanging up on you if they don't know the answer and uh, people lying to you and you know the IRS needs to I'm all about the customer the focus on the customer I I feel like the apps that succeed focus on the customer the firms that succeed focus on the customer and if the IRS wants to succeed they need to focus on the customer and one of their biggest customers is accountants. And then I guess the next thing is, what's next for Joe? We're going to be at QuickBooks Connect. Joe, are you going to be at QuickBooks Connect? I will be at QuickBooks Connect. Yes, I and about six or seven members of my team. Awesome. You'll have to come to the Cloud Accounting Podcast party we're having. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. When is that, David? December 7th, 7 p.m. 
at the Chandelier Lounge inside the Cosmo uh, Las Vegas Casino. So 7-7, seven, seven, uh, December 7th? 7-7. Seven, seven, at 7 p.m. Remember? And we'll have a link in the uh, show notes here for by the time people listen to this episode, that should be ready to go. But then that ends conference season. So, Joe, you are, yours is next June. You have your own conference. Yes. Right? It'll be in St. Louis this year, and we are already have record numbers. We're 95% sold out on our show floor, and we are uh, right now – uh, we are 70% as high on attendance as we were in June last year. So we are we're doing very well, especially in the current economic environment. And last year you went platform agnostic a little bit now. You used to be very heavy QuickBooks and heavy Intuit, and now everybody is there but Intuit. <laughs> as, are you going to – is there news here? Are you going to now have QuickBooks there and truly have all the players at one table? Intuit is always welcome. And my invitation is constantly extended to them. They are welcome to join us at any time. Even if they join me after my show floor is full, I will carve out a space. I will find a way. So hear me into it. You're always welcome. But everybody else, with the exception, um, everybody else is represented at this point, either through directly or through a reseller, except at this point, FreshBooks. They are still trying to decide what they want to do with the U.S. market, how they want to engage. But if we can get them, we have every major player, Zoho, Accounting Suite, uh, Sage, Zero, um, through resellers, Acumatica, NetSuite, and Microsoft Business Central are all represented at the show. That's great. It's a one-stop shop. That's I mean, one-stop that, shop. That's the great thing about conferences. You can hit a bunch of things at once, and so you're so if you can get QuickBooks there, it really is convenient for everybody. It would be yes. Sense. Now we we still a third of our training is still on the QuickBooks product, so QuickBooks is there in our breakouts, just not there with any corporate presence. Got it. Anything else, Blake? That's it. Uh, if you want to get free CPE for listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, you can do that on the Earmark app. Search for it on the App Store, on the Google Play Store. This episode will be up there uh, the week after it releases. You can earn free CPE. I'm not kidding. And... Uh, this is the time of year when everybody needs to get their CPE done. So catch up on your CPE using the Earmark app, listening to Cloud Accounting Podcast episodes and many other accounting and tax uh, podcasts. And then don't let it snowball next year. Use the app every week, get a CPE credit, and you'll see that by November of next year, you've already got all the credits you needed and no more worrying, no more stressing. So uh, hope to see you there. And you can get a team subscription. Yeah. So you can buy it for your team. So, Joe, you could buy this for all the members of your community. You could get a discounted subscription to Earmark and gift that to everybody in your community who needs CPE. Or just for your firm. I think you still kind of have a firm, right, Joe, a consulting firm? You're still doing I have a consulting firm. I only employ one CPA right now, and that's Heather okay. Satterley. Okay. Yeah. And, Joe, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate having you on the show today. Hope to see you again real soon. Yep. Great to be here, as always. Thanks, Joe. Time for the classifieds. Are you still paying 1% for ACH to receive money from your customers? With Ucollect, you can pay as little as 30 cents per transaction. Ucollect has two-way sync to both Zero and QuickBooks Online and gives you the features that the accounting systems lack, like installment plans, secure automatic payment setup invitations, automatic receipts, and allows access to other credit card merchant providers beyond the ones that come with the accounting system, giving you more control over the service fees that you pay. For more information and a 30-day free trial, go to ucollect.biz slash C-A-P. That's ucollect.biz slash C-A-P. Check out Hector Garcia's new app called Right Tool for QuickBooks Online. Instantly increase your productivity with keyboard shortcuts and more. It will save you seconds. The app is free at the moment in public beta. Check them out at righttool.app. That is righttool.app, R-I-G-H-T-T-O-O-L dot app. I don't care where you live in the United States. If you're a CPA, you have to take ethics continuing education. And I don't care who you are and where you live. You hate taking ethics continuing education. That's why me, Greg Kite, and my buddy, Adam Browd, we created a podcast called Drunk Ethics, where we unfold and uh, expose all of the inner secrets of not just ethics, but how to become more ethical and to promote ethical behavior at your workplace. And we do that while we are getting progressively more sh faced 
during the course of each episode. In each episode, we take seven shots every seven minutes. And so at the beginning, we are scholarly. And by the end, we are drunk yet still scholarly. If you're interested in this podcast, which I know you are, anyone can listen to the podcast for free. It's out there. You can find it. But if you want CPE credit for it, NASBA certified CPE credit, it is a premium course on Earmark. So if you're already a subscriber to Earmark, it's going to be more than that. But listen, it's worth it because of two reasons. First off, you know your company, you know your firm's going to pay for it and not you. And second of all, it's worth it, damn it. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.